Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an assistant professor and the Student Affairs Program Coordinator in the College of Education at Clemson University, and I'm also your host for this program. Today, we are excited to have Quincy Hall, who is currently an area coordinator at the University of Alabama. He's going to talk with us about some recent changes regarding Confederate markers and plaques on his campus. Welcome to the podcast, Quincy. Hi, thank you so much for having me on, Michelle. Absolutely, thank you. Before we get started, um, while the podcast is focused on current issues, events, and trends, it's also a chance for us to get to know a little bit about each other and for our listeners to get to learn about you as we engage in our work and our learning together, since we're all more than just our jobs. Quincy, would you mind by telling us just a little bit about yourself and your journey into your current role at the University of Alabama? Certainly. Um, I grew up as a kid in the great state of Michigan and came to Alabama around the time that I started high school. I went to a small liberal arts school here in Alabama to originally major in music education and piano performance, but in true liberal arts fashion, I ended up changing my major to sociology in undergrad, um, graduated, then immediately began pursuing and completing a master's degree in counseling. After briefly doing school counseling, I felt that there was still more that I could be doing and felt a bit stifled in K-12. So I went back to the drawing board and recalled my rich experiences in student affairs as a student leader, as a resident assistant and residence hall director as a graduate student. Um, I knew then that higher education was my next step to give back to students in a meaningful way as they maneuver through their further development on the college campus. Um, the position in housing and residential communities opened up at the university and I went for it because I wanted to have that experience being at a large regional research-based institution. And it's been a rich experience so far. Wonderful. Do you use your music education background in your work? Um, I do a little bit. Um, so I currently um, also serve as like an organist um, at a church here in Tuscaloosa. Um, and I also do a lot of accompanying and stuff here and there um, throughout the area. Wonderful. Well, that kind of leads to the next question. Um, what are some of your hobbies outside of the job? Yeah, so um, being a classically trained musician, um, I love to play the piano and sing. Um, I also dabble in the ukulele. Um, my dog, Francis, um, is sometimes terrified of it, maybe because of the loud noises. <laughs> but um, I guess when the coronavirus is not wreaking havoc, you know, I also enjoy traveling and just going and seeing different places. Wonderful. What are some things um, that you're currently reading, watching, listening to? What, what um, information are you taking in for fun or work? Yeah, um, so I've been trying to strike a balance between vegging out and watching shows and reading. <laughs> so uh, very early this year, I read after watching the movie when it came out backwards. I know you're not supposed to do it that way, but uh, Call Me By Your Name um, by Andre Ackerman and was so taken by it that I bought the next book um, written by him in the series called Find Me, which I'm currently reading. Um, such a lovely, lovely read. Um, shows I've loved this year so far include Mrs. America. Um, that's an excellent take on the feminist movement of the 70s. Um, a lot of good parallels to current day. Um, and The Great on Hulu, um, that comedic, dramatic take on the rise of Catherine the Great, um, who I absolutely adored, you know, like learning about in um, grade school. 
Um, but for music, <clears throat> I have such an eclectic taste in music. My go-tos are probably Janis Joplin and Fleetwood Mac. Awesome. All right. Uh, we just finished the great last week, week before. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Did you see the film The Favorite? Yes, that was also super excellent. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I did some reading that some of the same people worked on both projects, so. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. All right, how about, um, would you be willing to share a favorite quote that you turn to either as motivation or just something that makes you smile? You know, my family um, always instilled this African proverb into us growing up that it's kind of stuck as a motto throughout my life. And it says, when you pray, move your feet. Um, to me, that means everything that you hope for or pray for, um, you have to put some positive action behind it to make it happen. I love that. Writing it down as we speak, actually. So thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I have one last question for you. And this is completely an unscientific theory that I have created. Um, but I think when it comes to student affairs, and my background um, was in housing for a long time, then student conduct before I, I moved into my faculty role. But I think that there are two types of student affairs people. There are the fall people who are about, um, you know, sort of the high energy, let's get things planned, let's bring people together build relationships, build community. And there are the spring people who, it's not that they don't necessarily enjoy the fall, and it's not that fall people don't enjoy parts of the spring, but I think of spring people as more, okay, now's a chance to look back, reflect on what we've done, maybe think about what we could do in different ways in the future. Um, and I'm also not offering these as fall people like students, and spring people don't. <laughs> that's not that's not where I'm going with this. But if if you kind of take those descriptors, would you consider yourself more of a fall person when it comes to student affairs or a spring person? And if you're willing to share kind of what what is it that draws you more one way or the other? Absolutely. That's a really good question. Um, and it is a little difficult, I think, to answer, but I would probably say that fall is probably more of where I would lie. Um, I love to fall because you get to welcome your students back and get them pumped up for the great things that you all seek to accomplish in the next academic year. Um, the planning and the preparation to in turn give meaningful tools, you know, to those developing minds is such an empowering gift and honor, you know, to do like in a, as a student affairs professional. Um, to know that you are part of their experiences and trying to provide them with the best to get them ready for all that they seek to accomplish in the academic year is, um, is pretty awesome. So I would choose fall. Great. And this isn't exactly our topic for today, but given that we're in a pandemic, we should probably talk about that a little bit. As you think about, as a fall person, do you see some of the challenges that we're facing now do those inspire you and sort of provoke your creativity? Are they daunting? Is it a combination of the two? What are your thoughts as we look ahead? Yeah, I think it's a little of both. Um, I think that um, it's definitely daunting because 
we're having to tread into areas that we have not quite dealt with before. Um, but I think that it gives us an opportunity to do some things kind of outside of the box, you know? So um, for instance, in my department, you know, with regard to training, um, we're looking at, you know, doing some things, you know, more online or more in a hybrid system, or how can we modify some of our um, different processes that we do for training, you know, for our student staff members, um, you know, to get them engaged in the smaller types of communities and their smaller staffs and things like that. So I think it's giving us an opportunity to maybe explore some things that we have been discerning, um, especially since I've been here um, at the university and seeing if we can potentially implement those things and maybe even keep some of these new things, you know, like moving into the future uh, with how we um, develop processes and things for our students, so. I love that. I love the idea that we don't have to see this as compromising, giving up, but also as opportunity and building new and different things based on what we're learning right now. So, Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Well, let's transition a little bit into our topic today. And so speaking of change, how's that for a segue? Um, <laughs> um, you have shared with us sort of your journey into your current position. Can you talk a little bit more about, since you've been in your role at the University of Alabama, um, what, what's your experience been like in terms of connecting, you know, to colleagues and to students, but also to the institution itself? What, how, how has that gone for you? Yeah, well, I would say that it's been an overall positive experience so far, um, just because I think that we have a team of some of the most dedicated professional educators here um, at the Capstone um, that are on the ground seeking to do the most good in their work um, that will ultimately benefit our students and their further growth and development. Um, I've been a part of some wonderful organizations, committees, and different groups during my time here um, that has been meaningful and enriching um, because I feel that I am a part of solutions and a part of trying to build a culture that cultivates young people um, that are seeking to be active change agents in their work and in their communities beyond their college experience. <clears throat> I enjoy my work in residential communities um, and teaching in the Honors College, um, engaging with students in and out of the classroom um, and helping them to be successful. Um, but we, like many institutions, are not perfect um, and we have room for growth. But I'm confident that we have individuals in place across our campus that are working to build a diversity, equity, and inclusion-centered campus culture. I've made it a point to intentionally plug in to different areas of campus um, that are outside of my lane um, and different committees um, and to join campus organizations such as the Black Faculty Staff Association, uh, where I currently serve as secretary. Great. And do you think, um, sort of as you've built those relationships, is that just who you are and that was going to happen whatever institution, wherever you were working. And, you know, to your point, every institution is struggling with its own history in different ways right now. So is your connection building and you're looking to get involved in areas adjacent to, for sure, but outside of housing, um, is that who you are or is that something you think was driven by where you are and the work that you see um, the opportunity to do on your campus? 
Yeah, so um, I think that's just a lot of who I am. Uh, So like from my graduate program, one of the things that was really pushed is that it's extremely important to build rapport, you know, not only in your particular departments or institutions that you're working at, but you have to also step outside of your lane sometimes and, you know, reach out and help um, other areas, you know, and to learn what other folks are doing, you know, because sometimes we like the silo and, you know, sometimes we duplicate work and, you know, things like that. So it's like, you know, if we have a interdisciplinary type of approach, you know, in our work, um, we're going to be able to better collaborate and be able to better reach folks that might, you know, fall between the cracks or things like that. So, um, so I made it a point because I'd been at a small liberal arts school before coming to the university. Um, I was like, I want to really plug in and, you know, be as involved as I possibly can, you know, without <laughs> sacrificing the work that, you know, I'm set out to do in my particular role um, because I want to know um, what is it like, you know, to be plugged in at a large institution and to um, help be a part of solutions and whatnot. So. I love that. The fact that um, in order to work to create change, none of us can do that alone. And so building right. those bridges is really essential. That's great. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the some of the markers on your campus? Um, if you wouldn't mind just sort of describing what they are slash were, where they were, um, and whatever role you sort of see those playing on your campus or having played on your campus? Yeah. Um, well, I would say that um, there were three plaques um, on campus that honored students who were also Confederate soldiers that defended the campus from Union soldiers during the Civil War. Um, these were placed um, at different locations around campus. Um, one of those plaques was actually embedded into a boulder that was on main quad, uh, which they removed the plaque and also um, lifted off the, um, the boulder. So the boulder is no longer on the main quad currently. Um, <clears throat> I would say that, um, you know, a lot of our students, you know, they, they walk by that. And I think that over time, that kind of, um, you know, takes a toll on a person's, you know, um, mental understanding, you know, of like, (laughs) you know, and symbolic understanding of like what those particularly mean um, and why we have those. So I would just say that um, it's definitely taken a toll on our community, uh, just having it on campus. And how, how did the decision to remove those unfold and what was the role, certainly your role in that process and also the role of students? Yeah, there were um, students still in the area and the community. Uh, we had community members and alumni um, that either helped to form protests in the community or um, formed or signed petitions to actually rename some of our buildings on campus and to remove the plaques. Um, the plaques and names of buildings on campus have long been topics of contention on our campus, with student groups voicing their concerns um, through protests and petitions for years. Um, as a result of the protests and the petitions in the community, the Board of Trustees ultimately consulted with President Stuart Bell here at the university before authorizing the removal of the plaques and stating that they will initiate a study of campus buildings and make recommendations about whether they should be renamed. I appreciate your acknowledgement of the fact that 
Um, while the change happened now, that's the result of extended and ongoing work. Um, I've seen that on campuses where, well, the campus where I am now, but other campuses as well. And um, sometimes we forget to honor the people who've invested the energy to raise the question, I mean, probably decades and decades ago at this point. Um, but it's also an opportunity to celebrate being a part of change um, when you're in the place when it happens. So as you sort of have been there as this has happened, what have been some of the responses? I know that there are there are always going to be people who don't want things to change. You know, they had their experience in a certain setting and things had names and iconic um, points on campus were there. And there's a sense of loss when those goes when those things go away. But there's also how do we um, how do we own where we are today and um, move forward and more fully understand the impact on students, faculty, and staff when we have certain images or names or whatever it might be. So what, what have you seen as the response on your campus? Or, and beyond your campus, because it could be alums and um, donors and you know, friends of the university as well. Yeah, um, from my view, it seems that most folks that I've um, come into contact with um, that are associated with the university are pleased with the removal of the plaques and are very hopeful about the potential for renaming some of the buildings on campus. Um, one student that I actually spoke with explained just how different it will be now to walk on main quad and to not have a Confederate marker to look at and be reminded of its significance and symbolic power. Um, but there is still more work, you know, that can be done beyond these more symbolic moves. And I believe that it is where many folks associated with the university are right now. They want to see the university continue to move forward and take on a very active social justice and equity approach. Um, the university is a bubble in this college town, however, and if you venture out far enough, I'm sure that you'll hear folks who will claim that our campus community is re removing history and tradition or something of the like. So. Sure. Just jotting a note um, about your comment about more work to be done. Um, and again, I, while we're talking about your campus, I really, I think there can't be any campus that isn't looking at different aspects of their history. Mm -hmm. For you, and you mentioned this in terms of students, does it feel different there without those markers? I don't know if they're in areas that like you would normally be walking past, but does it does it feel like there's a change with those things gone? It does feel different. Um, I was reflecting to a friend that 2020 has been one of the wildest adventures <laughs> that I've ever been on with processing multiple crises at once. Uh, but while so much craziness is happening, I'm so very optimistic about the positive and fiery energy that is being displayed throughout our campus community and abroad, you know, with regard to getting serious about race relations and these symbols of systemic oppression. Coming to the university, <clears throat> I knew, of course, of its past and its current struggles with some of these topics, so I'm pleasantly surprised to see the administration take these steps to enact change. 
I told that friend that it feels like someone has taken a wrench and has finally made that lever budge that we can actually get it to move around more easily. Um, I just hope that we can continue to ride on this momentum and enact meaningful changes to support our students and of course, you know, the educators and the professionals that are serving our students here. That's great. I know, um, you know, you talked about looking ahead to fall and we're all still figuring out what is fall going to look like. Do you think whether it's this fall or, or further in the future when we um, have more students physically present on campus, do you think anything about this change will resurface and be a part of the dialogue? I mean, for incoming students, it, they may not be as familiar, though I'm sure you have many students who know the campus before they, they come there um, and are enrolled there. But do you think that this will, um, I'm not sure how to put it, but reemerge as a point of dialogue once there are more students back on campus? Yeah, um, I do think that it will be a part of our conversations and our culture um, on campus since the students have been away um, through a lot of these changes that have happened over the summer in this um, new posture um, that the university has taken to um, initiate some research, you know, with renaming the buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, I imagine that student groups will process and mobilize to hold some accountability for seeing more action being taken on campus. Um, and our educators on campus will need to be prepared, you know, and be ready to help them to maneuver through these conversations with civility, understanding, and respect. Um, not only do we have, you know, the, the racial issues, you know, that we are currently dealing with and um, trying to process and discern as a community, we also have a political um, election, you know, presidential election that's coming up and um, COVID and, you know, just all these things that are kind of like bubbling up right now. So it's going to be a lot of stuff for us um, higher ed professionals to really <laughs> make sure that we are steering our students um, in a productive um, and intentional direction. To your earlier point, the wild ride of 2020 continues. <laughs> yes. Let's <laughs> slow it down anytime soon. Um, you know, you talked about uh, the call for changing some of the names of buildings on your campus. Are there either, are there additional efforts being made around um, change, whether it's to like places and items and names, those symbolic things, are there calls for other changes systemically or in terms of policy? And either way, what have the calls for change that you're seeing, what, what form have those taken um, during this time? Yeah, there's a couple things um, that we've been, that's been at the forefront um, since I've been here at the university. Um, for our personnel on campus, um, there's been a push for better recruitment, selection, or retention of diverse others. Um, this has been a cause that the Black Faculty and Staff Association has been an active leader on um, that I'm a part of. Um, and there is also a call for more intentional diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives to be built throughout all of the curriculums at the university, um, which I think would be a huge help in helping to move our campus culture forward and will help our students to process, learn, and develop, you know, regarding these topics that they will need to have in their tool belts in this increasingly diverse global society that they will one day live and engage in. We have a um, 
diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, our vice president of diversity, equity, inclusion here at the university, and she's doing some uh, wonderful, great work, and she actually started at the same time that I started, um, and um, has been trying to drive a lot of these conversations across the campus community, so those are probably two of our biggest things that we're currently um, battling amid the current crises of the day. Great. Um, so I want to I want to ask a follow up question mm -hmm. about the removal. So you said that you anticipate when students come back, there'll be some more conversation about the change. And one of the things that comes up pretty often in the media is if we remove these markers, if we remove plaques and things like that, then we're erasing history. In what ways do you think, um, so it's, it's everything's layers, of course, the layers of the individuals who were commemorated, so that's part of the institutional history, the markers being present, on campus, that's part of the institutional history. How do you see that being sustained when the markers and the plaques themselves are no longer there? Where, where do you think conversation about, hey, this is part of who we have been, yeah. where do you think that fits? And I think that's extremely important to build that bridge. Um, so a lot of, um, there are several groups on campus like the um, faculty Senate, um, Black Faculty Staff Association, and some other groups on campus that um, have stated that we have to have that education piece. You know, like it is, it would be extremely powerful, I think, to have some type of marker. Like if we rename a building and say, this building was once named X and we changed it to Y. And it's because it was as a result of years of advocacy. Um, years of folks, you know, wanting to um, enact these changes, you know, for our students that might feel uncomfortable going into a building that um, was named after someone who owned slaves or, you know, that um, was, had ties to the KKK or, you know, whatever the situation is, or even for those Confederate markers, you know, like, you know, to say that this was once a part of our campus identity but we together have, are moving into a direction that keeps diversity, equity, inclusion at the forefront and social justice at the forefront and equity, you know, that we are taking care of our students and being a support to all of them and being an open and diverse um, campus community. I think that is extremely important to have the education piece because that builds the bridge, you know, between the two. I appreciate that. The um, undergraduate history major in me, um, you know, we can't understand where we are unless we have a sense of where we've come from. And that doesn't mean that um, history is not sustained only by physical representation. It's sustained by conversation and understanding the things that have informed and shaped the institutions that we're a part of. So I, I really appreciate that response. Are there other things related, could be precursors, could be things that have unfolded? You know, it seems like we didn't talk that long ago when we were setting this up and the world feels like a different place from 
a week and a half ago whenever we had our conversation. But are there other things that I should be asking or other things that, that you want to share or talk about as we kind of wrap up? Yeah, well, I guess it's more of just a statement, I guess, of just, you know, the work um, that's going to go into um, a lot of these topics that we're talking about right now and trying to um, maneuver through, you know, with our students and with each other as colleagues. Um, I think that working to advance social justice um, in this world is so extremely important to me. Um, and it's been at the forefront of all the work that I've sought to do in this life because I feel that it makes our society better when we care for one another and meet each other where we are on our respective journeys. It's messy and exhausting work, but it is so worthwhile to be in the trenches with so many others you know, across the field um, to do the most good that we can in our work and by our students. It's a pleasure to work in this field, um, getting my hands and feet dirty to help future generations of scholars to be a part of solutions. That's wonderful. And it, it um, loops back to, you know, one of your earlier points about building connections and working in community um, because it is exhausting. And some people have done this work every moment of every day of their lives and um, just engaging in society even in moments of change and celebration if you're doing it alone you can't afford to drop out and so having those other people in community with you so when you need to take a minute and recuperate a little bit so you can come back and continue to um, do the work that needs to be done that's really essential so um, definitely a thread through your comments today that i really appreciate so thank you Absolutely, thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, I know there's a lot of turmoil and pain in the world right now, but like I said, there are moments of victory and um, I appreciate you sharing some of the, the progress and success that, that you've had on your campus. The fact that you're willing and able to spend some time with me today really means a lot. Um, I hope you're doing all right and getting what you need in this very odd um, moment that we're sitting in right now. But thank you again, Quincy. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much um, for your kind words, Michelle. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and to have the opportunity to share my experiences with you and others through this podcast. Absolutely. I'm, a, I'm excited to put this out into the world and because um, there are times when we hit a wall and I think hearing about moments of success and moments of change that that can really help sustain us as we continue to um, do the work so this this um, episode is really focused a lot on um, change um, but to your point again earlier there's still more work that we need to be doing so as we think ahead to the additional work around a variety of issues, but especially related to issues of race and history on our campuses. Um, would you be willing to share two or three things in your world that are bringing you joy and sort of that maybe inspirational hope um, that you need to keep doing what you're doing every day? Yeah, um, I'm so very much an extrovert and a busybody. And while I miss my in-person interactions, I've been 
fortunate um, and privileged to just have opportunities um, where I can be still and take long walks and to spend more time with my miniature schnauzer, Francis. Uh, I have some of the best friends and family in the world and have been engaging a lot via Zoom um, and other technology um, systems, you know, to be plugged in. My best friend and his wife actually just gave birth to their first child and my first godchild at the beginning of the COVID shutdowns, which has been absolutely wild, but <laughs> we've been Zooming quite a bit um, to bond. Um, so that's been really positive and keeping me going. And other than that, music. Uh, music just keeps me going. And I think that, um, you know, when the going gets tough and, you know, a lot of this tough and difficult work that we're doing, you just have to find that sanctuary. You have to find those things that will keep you going or give you some some calm and some stillness, you know, to process and to step out of the arena for a little bit, you know, take some reprieve. And then um, when you're ready, you can jump right back into the ring and do that big important work that we got to do. That's wonderful. And thanks for sharing and congratulations on your godfatherness. Oh, thank you. It's such an exciting role. I'm so excited. Um, that's, that's really great. So, well, thank you again, Quincy. Um, we really appreciate your time um, and your perspective on how things are unfolding at the University of Alabama. Today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA, and we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without producer Erica Lee. So, as always, much gratitude to you, Erica. My name is Michelle Botcher, and it's been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.